This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how are Ukrainians going about their day-to-day lives as the war rages on? Advocate Stephen Berko checks in with us from Lviv. He tells us how Ukrainians are staying connected during the war and spending their time. How big is Canada's government? Aaron Woodrick, a policy expert with McDonald laurier Institute, shares research on how the government has grown over the last five years and tells us that we have a spending problem or maybe it's an earning problem in Canada. Either way, it needs to get fixed and something needs to be done very soon. It's also time for some fun Irish trivia. We sell Celebrate St. Patrick's Day with Game Showy. Will Shane finally reclaim victory after losing again and again and again? Or will Brennan use his Irish heritage because he has 17 different passports? That's an exaggeration for emphasis to win the game. This is the Shift Podcast. It is officially time for us to celebrate St. Patrick's Day here on the Shift. You ready? You ready? All right. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to play our favorite game here on The Shift. It's Game Showy. Now, here is your host, Ryan O'Donnell. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Please, please hold your applause. Please. Thank you, Bob. Oh, it's great to be back, isn't it? It's been a while. I'm excited for some game showy. We thought it would be the perfect time to play it and the perfect time to kick off St. Patty's Day because it is St. Patrick's Day across all of Canada now. So let's do some Irish trivia as we mark this very important day for the Irish that we in North America love to celebrate and drink on. So, uh, Bob, why don't you take us through the categories for today's episode of Game Showy? Thanks, Bob. The categories are Irish culture, Irish history, and other Irish things that didn't fit into Irish culture or Irish history. Back to you, other Bob. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, please, please. Okay, well, if you hear the answer right, you get to hear this wonderful sound. Oh, you found the photo gold with the oh, correct answer. Oh, you broke the ashtray. Yeah, or, or, or you broke the ashtray. Yeah, it's not a ding. It's uh, some gold. You, you got the luck of the Irish. And if you get it wrong... Oh, classic. There's, yeah. It's just classic. I I didn't really think there was a sound to counter that. So eh, we'll have to do. Each contestant, as a reminder, will get one point for a correct answer. Uh, they don't lose any points. However, you each, Shane and Brendan, have one chance to use the text line for help. So, okay. listeners, make sure you text in if you know the answer, 877 877- 399-9898. You could help out Shane and or Brendan. Shane, mostly. So, probably Shane. Yeah, yeah let's be honest here. I need the yeah. help. Yeah. So, All right. Especially because Brendan is has an Irish citizenship, don't you? You have an Irish yeah. passport, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Irish might have a bit of a advantage here, but... Hmm. Anyway, I didn't have I'm to take like a test like you do to get the citizenship because I was born from an Irish father, so I didn't. So. Okay. 
You have like passports from all over the world. It's like you collect them. Uh, I am a modern day James Bond. <laughs> Beautiful. Stunning. <laughs> definitely James Bond. <laughs> all right, let's get started. Shane, why don't you yes. pick, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you pick the first category, a reminder you can pick from Irish history, Irish culture, or other random Irish facts. Underdog. <sighs> All right, I'm going to go with uh, well, my studying that I've been doing watching my Castles shows oh. is because uh, I watch the Castles shows on the mm -hmm. on the Prime and the Netflix. So I'm going to go with the the Irish history, please. Okay, well, I'm going to throw you a bit of a bone here. I want to make okay. sure that this stays he competitive. He d yeah. So, uh, but, but this nice. is a chance to. To, oh, I'm not I haven't even got one I'm wrong being, yet. Like, you're yeah, beating me <laughs> okay. up. Okay, well, right. here's your chance. Uh, no bias in this question at all. Mm -hmm. What is the name of the O'Donnell family castle in the Republic of Ireland? Ooh, okay. I wonder. Okay, is it Tyraconnell Castle, or actually, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. It's Tyraconnell. Tyraconnell. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the Celtic pronunciations I might get wrong here. Just a heads up. Is it Donegal Castle or Drummoland Castle? Well, I believe I know this one, Ryan, uh, oh, because you? my friend Julie, who lives in Ireland, has a country home close to your family home, which is Donegal Castle. B. Oh, that is correct. Give me Very the gold. Correct. There it is. Oh, you got the gold. Kind of sounds like piece. Christmas bells on a reindeer, but give me the gold. I assure you it is gold. Yes. Donegal Castle, the stronghold of the O'Donnell clan, lords of Tyr Connell. And uh, they were one of the most powerful Gaelic families in Ireland back in the 5th to 16th century. I should just make this note in case it wasn't obvious. I do not have any connection to that castle, nor can mm. I live there. However, I'm going to pretend to own it when i go there <laughs> it's just it's a castle i have to you do all right i love it one yes. nothing See, i'm winning for shane I don't always lose. Off, off to a good start Very and good. that's all the time we have for <laughs> <laughs> game show no can we just no. quit now sorry oh. unless you want to find right. another way to fill 10 minutes of content which this is the best way to do it on st patty's day on game showy brendan kelly it is your oh, turn to pick me. a category I will go with the May. Uh, so that was history, right? I'm assuming that was history. Okay, I'll go with culture. Culture. Okay. Which item is the emblem of Ireland? Is it A, a harp, B, a shamrock, or C, a cross? Oh, that's tough. Uh, it's between one or two, but I'm going to go with the harp. Oh, would you look at that? That's correct. Yes, it, this is Render. interesting. Oh, beautiful. The national emblem of Ireland is a Celtic harp, not a shamrock. But what's mm -hmm. interesting is that this is the only country in the world that has a musical instrument for their national emblem. And it's oh, also the emblem that. that Guinness adopted yeah. as their own logo so logo. not because yeah i mean guinness is important to ireland but they didn't choose their logo because of the beer vice versa but i wouldn't blame them for doing it because of the beer 
because it is delicious. Mm. One to one. Shane, please pick the category. Well, pick I seem to have success one. with the um, with the history. So I'm going to go with the uh, Irish history, please. Oh, another Irish history. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Let's do this one. During the Irish potato famine between 1845 and 1852, Ireland lost almost 50% of its population. Most families emigrated to which country is it? Emigrated. A, yes. Or immigrated. <sighs> they moved to okay they left australia they left ireland to go to this country is it a australia b england c Hmm. the united states or d canada i'm gonna go with uh d canada ryan you're very close but unfortunately (sighs) it is our neighbors to the south yes about Uh, it's a fascinating chapter in Irish history. One million people died from starvation or from typhus or other horrible things. But the number of Irish people who emigrated during the famine may have reached 2 million, 49% of total immigrants to the United States around that time Uh were Irish. I didn't didn't get a chance to steal. I I knew that one. Oh. I'm gonna. I'm oh, not giving the chance to steal. I have so many questions that okay. we're just All gonna right. keep going. Okay. That way, it's not easy for either of you to take a lead. I'm yes. gonna make this one close. This is All gonna right. be a. Yeah, this is gonna be like a pub brawl. Okay. You're, you're fixing it. Um. Right. Yeah. So I'll go with the other Irish facts in this fixed competition. Other <laughs> Irish facts. You got it. Okay. Let's do 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 do. Let's pick a good one here. All right. What invention comes from Ireland? The guided yeah. torpedo, Ooh. a stethoscope, color photography, or syringes? Uh, the stethoscope. That is correct. However, Brendan, you actually only get half a point because the full correct answer, this is a trick question, is all of the above. All of those <laughs> things come from Ireland. <laughs> really? Yeah, all of those. Uh, give me back the gold. I knew yes. the stethoscope did. I was unsure about the other one. So yeah, you get half a point, laddie. Still good work. All right, Shane. All right, you uh, are... my turn. I'm gonna go with um. I'm gonna go with the um the other Irish things too because I feel like that that's where the luck the luck lies. <laughs> okay, luck. other Irish things. Okay, what color? We all think of green with St. Patrick. You know, driving the snakes away and the Emerald Isle itself. But what color was originally associated with St. Patrick? Was it yellow, purple, brown, or blue? St. Patrick. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yellow, purple, brown, or blue. Yellow, purple, brown, or blue. Yellow, purple, brown, or blue. Y.P. B B Y P B B Y P B B Y P P B Y P P B B B B B B. If he's looking it up online or what's he doing? No, my hands are in my pocket. Oh, okay, yeah, it's true. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like blue. I have a blue hoodie. I really like, so I'm going with blue. How's that for a guess? I hate that. That's your answer because that is correct. Yes. 
<laughs> that was a it was, that was a horrible way to answer oh, wow. that question, but it is. So, well, I'm honest. Uh, it's uh, it's St. Patrick's sky blue, and interestingly enough, ancient oh. Irish flags and armbands were blue, not green. Uh, and in hmm. fact, in the 1916 uh, uh, rebellion against the British, they repped that color in their in their revolution against the Brits. Really? Yeah. Okay, oh, well, Brennan Kelly. Two to uh, two to one and a half. Two to, two to one and a half. Brennan Kelly, here's yes. a chance to uh, to get back in this. Um, I will go with culture. Culture. Okay. Huh. Let's do this one. Which of the following holidays originates from an Irish festival called Samhain? Is it A. <gasps> Christmas. B. Thanksgiving. A. Whoops. Nope. C. <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened in my brain. I think I might have already had a pub beer already. Uh, yeah, I'll go over those ones one more time. Yeah, thank you. A. Christmas. B. Thanksgiving. C. Halloween. I will go with Halloween. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Oh, more coins out, uh, and gourds and other, other uh, vegetables. Gordy things. And, yeah, but it's more of a thing in North America than it is in Ireland. It's it's, it's kind of like St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, except yeah, pretty much actually. All right, all right, we're uh, we're pretty close here. Shane, take us through it. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, I'm going to go with more back to history. I'm going back to history. No, no, I want culture. I want culture. I want culture. <gasps> Oh, you have made a good choice because guess what, Shane? What? You just found <gasps> the super bonus extra point question. Super bonus. Me lucky charms. Oh, I found a leprechaun. That's okay. fun. Here is the ultimate question. All right. Brennan, by the way, I don't have any songs for this, so we'll just go through it. You'll know them by name, though. What is the best-selling Irish band of all time, aside from U2, of course? It's obviously U2, but okay. who is directly beneath them in the standings? Is it the boy band Westlife, the Cranberries, hmm? Van Morrison, or hmm. Enya? Okay, Cranberries was very limited in era. Van Morrison has lasted longer, although not a lot of big songs, and Enya... Friggin' own the 90s. And I don't know Westlife, so I hope it's not them. Westlife? Van Life. Van West Morrison Life? Life? West Morrison? Yes. I'm going with Enya. Enya is correct. Shane, you just got two points. And you're in the lead. Listen to this. She's sold over 26.5 million certified albums in the States, $75 wow. million dollar records worldwide. She is one of the best-selling artists of all time. And, uh, yeah, she she pulled in the 90s. Crazy. Crazy yes. stuff. There you go. Sweet. Well, Shane, I think you, I think you won because... That was it. Yeah, that's, that's game right. showy. Giving you Shane just won. I was giving you celebration music there. Oh, that was my Enya celebration. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that made me want a party. That's if that's Doesn't a BK it? party, then a, <laughs> yeah. a BK party don't stop. Man, all right. Well, I guess uh, thank you. I'd like to uh, thank the Academy. 
And um, I will remember this for a very long time. You Thank should. you. Be proud, All right. Andy. All right. Yeah, you got uh, more questions to get more points, and I got half a point in one of them. I was, so I when was, you fix the competition, yeah, sure. Two and a half points ahead of you. You couldn't have got it right in the last one anyway. Like, you you, you, you forfeited. Yeah. Well, it hey? happens when you get more questions, and the competition it's is true. slanted. Hey, buddy. Sometimes you got to just, you got to, you got to throw the hammer and, and win, win the game. All right. Well, I guess, well, that's all. We got to hit the thing with the, we got to wrap it up. Well, there it is. Congratulations to the nicest guy on the ship, Shane. Oh, man, why do you always do that? I was just getting in there. Get your paid, uh, get your dog spayed or neutered and stuff. <laughs> Happy St. Patty's Day from all of us here at the shift. This is the Shift Podcast. The war in Ukraine is, it's ugly. Uh, It's hard to believe it's getting uglier. Inside some of the news stories that are going on, there's more shelling, more rockets, more dumb bombs. And then there is a story of uh, a building, which was a theater, and that happened too. There's one gentleman who uh, has been a part of our conversation uh, from the shift. Last time we spoke to Stepan Berko, he was in Lviv. He's with the Dijer Foundation. He's an advocate for people in general. So it only seems appropriate that Stepan is uh, here with us talking about uh, people again today. Stepan, are you there? Yes, Hashem. Still in Lviv for you, sir? Yes, yes. Trying to... Um recollect uh, the activity of our organization in this new city. Yeah. Um, Well, standing up for people, standing up for reform, standing up for all things being done in um, a democratic elected uh, way is, is the stand of the entire group of people that you do work for. Uh, Are you working at all? Like, is anybody working in, in, you know, in Lviv right now, Uh, or are you just sort of doing everything you can to help? Uh, yes, we're working. We're trying to, um, you know, find ourselves in this new reality. But um, as our government is calling for everybody to, you know, launch businesses, try to um, do some economic activity or business activity to to fuel the economy. And that's what we are doing, too. We're trying to find the activities that our organization, our expertise uh, can be useful right now during the war to kind of find our way of living through these times while still helping the country and the economy. Now, that must be incredibly difficult to do. Can you help us step and understand? I know that um, uh, from what we've understood in reporting that Lviv has been getting a little bit more action when it comes to alarms and sounds. Let's start where you are uh, with the warnings that, that have been around. What do you sort of see out of your proverbial window uh, with what's going on in Lviv right now in Ukraine? Mm, <clears throat> except the uh, uh, air alarms, uh there's nothing that it would indicate that the war is uh, um, have, is taking place in the country. If you live in Lviv, uh, shops are open, cafes are open, um, 
yeah, sometimes you hear this uh, air alarm, and that's the only indicator. Uh, we get this alarm, um, I would say, once during the working day and uh, almost every night, starting from two, and sometimes it can last for four, five hours, sometimes it's shorter. Today was only like an hour. So you kind of get used to it. Many people, um, and that's what saddens me, Many people don't pay attention to this uh, threat, potential threat anymore. They don't hide. They don't, uh, you know, uh, go to the to the places where you are more or less safe. And you know, it it's. Uh, I think it's because people are tired of this new routine. Um, yeah. But I, I think it will be this way until the very first, uh, uh, you know, incident happens here in Ukraine or anywhere else in Western Ukraine, where mm. people will indeed understand that they are threatened by Russian missiles the same way as those people who are in Kiev, Kharkiv or Mariupol. The only, the only uh, advantage that we have is that uh, Russia don't, doesn't have that many missiles that can reach uh, all the way to Western Ukraine, but they still have them. So eventually that could happen anytime. Yeah, we saw that with that um, military base that is west of Lviv, where you are, that, that got, did get hit, but it seems to be very selected on, on what is going on. Now, you did uh, mention, um, you know, Kiev and Mariupol and, and these other places. There's the theater attack. Um, uh, in Mariupol. Now, from what I've seen with this, uh, there was a bunch of people in the basement. There, uh, they'd even sit from one of the the drone photos that was taken. Uh, you never, when you watch the news, you trust that you trust that the information is as accurate as it gets. So I, I, I hesitate in hopes of your correction if it is inaccurate. Please, is that um, this particular building? Uh, you know, if I have the stories correct, I mean they had painted children. Uh, on the on the uh, parking lot and uh the thing that seems to have happened is there was a lot of social media posting from inside that building that people were obviously st- crammed in there there was an awful awful lot of people in a very small space and there was an awful lot of public sharing about what was there and what was happening there in that theater now that must be concerning if that is accurate Stepan that publicly they're watching social media posts to see where people are, or it was just absolutely random, which I find hard to believe. That must be concerning to you because everything that happens publicly could work against Ukrainians. You see, uh, Mariupol is completely sieged, and there is no uh, little or no um, you know, information from the city. So there are some journalists working inside the city which uh, who um, transfer some information. And uh, I, I also seen this um, post on, on Facebook and other social media that this was this theater was a shelter for women and children. And um, I have a friend of mine whose parents live in Mariupol and are there right now. And uh, from from that channel, I also uh, got the information that this theater hosted many uh, 
many civilians from the around you know from from the area where the theater is um the problem is that you can write children or you can write civilians or on any building in in any city but if any civilian building is uh, you know uh shelled by russian army and if any city is shelled by russian army civilian casualties will happen it's not like you know you can bomb one building and uh and uh, anything that's around it is not destroyed what we see in in ukraine is that russian army they uh deliberately shell cities and uh from the recordings that our intelligence is uh, receiving they even get official official i don't know if they're official orders to shoot anyone that might even potentially, and that includes civilians, uh, uh, I don't know, be a threat to Russian soldiers. And Russian soldiers, uh, they are in a foreign country, they have no supplies, uh, not enough supplies, they they have low morale, and that leads to, to the situation when they shoot everything, they... Uh, uh, bomb anything, and only Ukrainian civilians are, uh, you know, victims of this of this story. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Mariupol is a place where there is no inf- little or no information from. Uh, fortunately, uh, our government uh, was able to organize some green corridors to evacuate at least some. Uh, share of of the of the population, but it's so low compared to the. I mean, Mariupol is uh, like two hundred thousand or more more than two hundred thousand people, and we've heard like few thousand people could evacuate in uh, less days. So it's like a I don't know a drop in the sea, unfortunately. And unless the shelling stops, unless the 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 war stops. There is no chance these these people can survive. Uh, the Mariupol theater, um, as was uh, reportedly targeted, sort of a big live theater building in the middle of a park and in the parking lot in front and back, painted on the ground, it said children. And so, you know, it's very clear from the sky what it is. Maybe it wasn't, you know, from the sky where they came from. But just the notion that, that that's what's happening is is incredibly scary. Stepan Berko is in Lviv. Uh, Stepan's been with us on the radio a bunch of times. Now, Stepan, when we first chatted, you were with your family. Your family has, has gone and left the country now. You're still there working. Um, yes. You sound tired, my friend. You sound very tired. And, and I, um, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm always amazed at the uh, tenacity and confidence and strength and power that comes from all of our Ukrainian friends that we've met. How do you keep in touch with your friends? How do you find out where your family members are or their family members are? You talked about your friends' parents being in Mariupol. How how do you find that out? Do you, I mean, I guess this is just sort of a man-to-man question. How do you keep up with everybody is? Do you text and just ask and say, hey, how are your parents doing? Um, how do you keep up with all of that and not have it get you so tired just trying to check in on everybody? Hmm. 
Yeah, we're texting each other. We're calling sometimes each other. And uh, sometimes we're organizing these Zoom calls just to see uh, friends. And, uh, you know, this calms, uh, calms you down when you see uh, your friends, the fa their faces, that they're in safety. Um, of course, anything can change any minute. Uh, I have many friends who are um, helping the... The, the, the army, the territorial defense, they're traveling to the hotspots. So, uh, you know, I'm worrying for these people. And um, of course, this can be tiresome. Uh, I think we have managed to find a way to live in this situation. So we're not that stressed anymore. Because, the, the you know, the first days of war, it was like, you couldn't believe it. Now you kind of accept this this reality. But um, even when you try to live like your normal life, to the extent it can be lived like, you know, normal way, you still have this uh, uh, feeling of war um, on the background. For example, when you, tr when you try to, when you go to, to a cafe uh, to have, a, you know, a drink of coffee, with your friends just to feel normal you still are thinking about um okay if if this area gets hit by a missile where am i sitting am i close to the exit am i close to the place where you know strong walls are where i am more safe from being uh, hit by you know some rubble or stuff or, or even when you watch a movie at night at night with uh with your family uh, just to you know get um, distracted from what's going on you still you're still thinking of the war of the threat and of people that are that cannot be you know relaxed like you they cannot go to a shop that cannot watch a movie uh, that are on the front lines and um, that stresses uh, of course so you you can be physically not uh, tired but you're psychologically tired and um, I think it must take some time for us to get oh, we lost him there this happens from time to time with the connection that we have in um, in Ukraine our guest right now his name his name is Stepan Berko uh, he's with the Zero Foundation we got him back now sorry Stepan we lost you there for one quick second no sorry um, what was the last thing you heard <laughs> Well, you were just telling me about how tired um, you can get and how you just can't let go because you always have to keep it in your mind even when you're you're trying to relax. So uh, that's where you left off. If there's more to be shared there, please do. And, and if not, I have another question. Go ahead to your next question. Um, there have been some leaders now that have – first, actually, you know what? I'm going to stop. I want to just acknowledge the fact that um, you and some of your colleagues and uh, maybe people you don't know – um, every single time we've asked to have a conversation, um, you guys, you guys say yes and you make time for us. And, and so when you talk about being tired and not being able to let it go, the fact that you could spend your time doing other things and you choose to be here with us sharing what's going on and asking everyone in Canada, uh, to help. I just want to acknowledge that hard work. That's an incredible level of commitment. And I just, I want to acknowledge that before I ask, ask this next question is that, um, the world is starting to call Putin a war criminal. 
Um, the president in the United States did. A Polish minister did. More and more people are starting to use that kind of language. As a Ukrainian, does that feel like the world is starting to understand what's going on? Uh, I think the world has understood what's going on already from the first days of the war. Uh, you know, Ukrainians, they are thankful for the words, but they also want to see actions. And um, recent decisions to submit some additional military support to Ukraine, that's something that cheered us up because uh, we know that Russia has more planes and more military stuff than we. So in order for us to you know, succeed and to, to win this war, we have to have this support. And um, of course, these new images of, this, of you know, atrocities in Mariupol and other cities, they, are, uh, they help Western societies to once again uh, understand what's going on. But we are also, you know, afraid that uh, as we are tired of war, uh, your societies, I mean, Canadian society also, will eventually get tired of this, you know, constant information flow about this war from Ukraine. And uh, that's what we were talking with my friends, that if the West will get tired of, you know, of, of this war, of this conflict, of constantly helping our refugees, of constantly helping our military. That's a threat. So uh, our main call is to not forget about us, not forget uh, supporting us, because we are working 24-7. Those on the front lines uh, and those who are in more safe places we're doing everything to win this war and to stop these atrocities and to you know get back to our normal lives but we need the strong support uh, both uh, in terms of military equipment and uh, you know uh, words as well because words uh, are something that can motivate you cheer you up and uh, boost up your morale uh, to to fight against this you know evil that we are fighting Stepan Berko is in Lviv. Stepan, we saw today, at least for, I guess it was on Wednesday, for the first time, a deep fake. And I don't know how that translates to Ukrainian, but somebody taking images and pictures of Vladimir Zelensky, it was only a matter of time, and changing the narrative. It's a fake video. It's not actually him. It's computer simulating that it's him with a message that said, Ukrainians put down your weapons and so on. Um, are you surprised it's taken this long before that goes out there? And how do you cut through all of that as Ukrainian to make sure that everybody knows? I mean, this one seems rather obvious because it was so out of character for what your president would have said. But the misinformation game has begun. And how do you cut through that so you know what you're hearing is accurate? Well, I'm actually surprised we didn't see that video in the first day or two of the war. Yeah. I actually expected this to appear uh, at, that, at that moment. So, you know, people would think that our president and our government abandoned us. And um, 
the fact that the, these videos, the deepfakes, uh, appear now, to me, is just an evidence that Russians are uh, feeling that they have no power to overwhelm our country and our military, and they are um, using their old, old tactic, uh, trying to build mistrust between Ukrainians, um, because as in any democratic society, we have uh, you know people with different political views, different uh, ideas on. Uh, you know, how our um, political leadership is acting. And uh, when the war started, all these uh, differences were set aside. But, you know, it's a, it's a long-run thing. So Russians are trying to, you know, um, find these cracks, I, I include ideological cracks, political cracks in our society, and um, use them to uh, make our society less resilient. Uh, and of course, there are some people that would uh, buy uh, these uh, fake uh, fake videos, deep fakes, and uh, that are not capable of checking the authenticity of, of such fakes. But um, what I do, I just trust the sources. I don't, I don't uh, trust the information from, uh, from anyone. Uh, I I always read uh, uh, those people who I trust, which means like uh, respectable Ukrainian media, uh, respectable Western media, and um, uh, official um, Ukrainian authorities. Of course, there. Are, I mean, this is a very intense um, situation, and war is o always. Um, you know, with the change in circumstances very quick. And sometimes some misinformation can be posted uh, even by these uh, respected um, entities. But um, um, when this happens, um, in most cases, these uh, Ukrainian authorities or uh, Ukrainian media, they uh, apologize, they explain why this happened. So. I would say that I'm not afraid that I will be, uh, you know, uh, kind of fooled by someone's deep fake information. Stepan Berko is with Deezer Foundation. He, um, an advocate for the people. Um, Stepan, I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated by the peace you carry. Like some people, some people get excited and they get all mad. Um, and for you, the power that I hear truly does come from that, that piece that you communicate with us. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for you taking the time to share through all the stuff that you tell us is going on, um, that you take the time to be with us. I, I appreciate it very much, sir. Thank you for still being interested in this topic. It's really important for us to spread the information about what's going on in Ukraine and, uh, you know, feel the support of democratic societies because we're fighting for democracy here as well. You know, it's, I was thinking about you. Um, I was thinking about uh, Mikhailo Zernikov and, and, and Dr. Hannah Shalist and, and the, the various people that we speak to. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I had that question in my mind step and, and, and I, I thought, well, how long do we talk about this? Right. And in, then, you know, I just, my brain is, 
doing what my brain does. And I thought, well, we keep talking about this till it's remedied. And I'm like, okay, but when is it remedied? Like, when is it truly done? And then the conclusion I came to for myself was that we're going to keep talking about it until I can meet you, right? Until, until something happens that we can go and we can meet like that. I think that's how we, that's when we finish talking about it because it, it still matters. So uh, I don't know if that's uh I think that's maybe, a great idea. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and I think that's something really exciting to look forward to as well with all of these um, dark stories uh, that happen every single day. So thank you for that. And I do look forward to it. I think it would be great. I uh, have a whole new interest for your country. Thank you. I'm looking for, forward for that, too. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. This is the Shift Podcast. We've talked about it many times here on The Shift, the price of gas, the price of groceries, the price of this, the price of that. Well, if you know the show, you know me well enough, that means I start asking questions about the price of the things that deliver the food, deliver the gas, the things upstream from that. My guest to talk about all things costs, I know this is going to sound weird, is Aaron Woodrick. Um, he is the, uh, he's a lawyer and director of MLI's domestic policy program. And um, McDonald Laurier, by the way. And so this, your your money and like your spreadsheets must be amazing, Aaron. I got to tell you. <laughs> you. must have I good got, spreadsheets. I got a lot of spreadsheets, that's for sure. I bet you do. Um, so you, uh, you went sort of from law and then political science, economics, all of those things. And here we are looking at the government. You are in Ottawa. You literally are actually looking at the government. And um, the state of government today is what inspires me to have this conversation because I feel concerned. I have for about a year and a half now that quietly in the background, um, our government is getting huge and we don't as realize it as Canadians. Am I crazy? Not at all. And, you know, you say about the state of government, the state is disrepair, which is ironic given how much money is, is sloshing around and how much money kind of went out the door during the pandemic. But you're right to be worried. I mean, I think a lot of Canadians, especially when the pandemic first hit, I mean, it was inevitable. They shut everything down, right? People needed to keep the lights on. So they sent money out the door. But as things continued, I think there were more and more questions about you know, how much we were spending, how well targeted the money was that was being spent was was going out the door. And uh, we're now two years on. We've got a budget coming up. It's probably going to be sometime within the next month. This is going to be a really important document, Shane, because this is really going to sort of explain how the government plans to get back to normal. Um, how are they going to wind this stuff down? How are they going to pay for it? Because, of course, we borrowed all of that money. I mean, we already had deficits before the pandemic. Um you know, you put stuff on your credit card, you got to pay it off eventually. And so we need to start having these tougher conversations. Uh, we, we got ourselves through the pandemic. What's the next step? How are we going to pay off this bill that we've racked up? Well, you said it's an important budget, Aaron. That can't be because budgets balance themselves, men. So how can they be important? We've had them sporadically. I mean, it's it's more like, oh, hey, by the way, the credit card bill came in. We should probably look at that. I mean, we haven't had fiscal responsibility at all. And I don't mean that as a partisan statement. I mean it quite literally as it's been a bit of a gun show in in spending money and taking back the empties and just kind of throwing it in the account and hope that we made our minimum payment. I mean, that's truly how I feel how it's been for the last 
I don't know, six years. Well, this is true. I, uh, the numbers don't lie here, right? And yes, the pandemic, you can say, is a special case. But the reality is even before the pandemic, this was a government. Remember, Justin Trudeau was elected on a promise to balance the budget after three years. He's, yeah. He ran up. He went across the country speaking and, you know, at rallies saying he would balance. But he didn't do that. He came nowhere close. Um, and, you know, he. Even when money, more money came in in revenues than anticipated, they didn't use that to pay down their deficit. They just spent it. And so, you know, even before the pandemic, people need to remember these guys spent at my last calculation, they spent more than one hundred billion dollars more than they had promised when they were first elected before the pandemic. So there's a lot of money. um, And at the end of the day, the bill's got to be paid. And so Canadians need to start asking the question, are you are you going to raise our taxes? Are you going to cut our services? I mean, how and, and the other thing, too, of course, Shane, is with interest rates rising. Um, we've been very lucky sort of the last decade. Anytime there was a deficit, um, the interest rates were low. That really saved our bacon. That was that is what has kept this manageable. They're going up now. And so that's really going to change the equation and it's going to make uh, make the squeeze that much tighter. We get more and more complacent, Aaron, over the course of time here, and we sit back and we're like, oh, things are good. And the government got sucked into that as well. I mean, you talk about that. I mean, life has started happening and not even included in that equation. Of course, we have the pandemic, which I mean, look, we were always told you got to have enough money for three months just in case something happens. Right. I mean, it's been a lot longer than three months and most Canadians would have been dead in the water had the government not done what they did. So I'm not banging on the government for that, but the reality is, is life started to happen. There was no real planning. And then the, the pandemic happened. And then now we look what's happening. They're talking about increased military spending and all of that stuff too. So life is starting to happen. Uh, real life, not this, mystical unicorns, rainbows, and sparkles life that often gets talked about in government. Now, the reality is, is the the look is, we're trying to push the boulder uphill now, really, I guess, to not be too cliche. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you said that life's starting to happen. It turns out life's expensive too, right? So what are, you know, people are coming back uh, to, to life and what are they finding? They're finding the cost of their groceries has gone up. They're finding the price of their gas has gone up. They're finding that even, you know, mid-career professionals in large cities in this country can't buy a house anywhere. I mean, they're, they're, the problems seem to be getting worse. And I think a lot of people are starting to uh, lose any sense of optimism um, and, you know, really, it really is on the government to start to come up with a plan to sort of say, here's how we're going to tackle these things. And like, I, I know a budget isn't a magic bullet. It's not like they can come up with a, a magic solution in one document, but it's at least got to sort of lay the trajectory out. It's got to say, here's where we're going to start. And you talk about pushing the boulder uphill. Well, the boulder would have been a lot smaller if we'd started earlier. But I can tell you, if we don't start now, it's going to be immovable very soon. Budgets also don't fix pandemics, right? I mean, there's no budget in the world that could have uh, they could have set aside that money and go, well, you know, we are anticipating a pandemic to surprise us in March of next year. Right? I mean, so and I mean, I got to keep it fair. Okay, the size of the government, though, Aaron, mm. property all over has gone up because of you know low interest rates. People, frankly, were itchy with everything pandemic. Um, and frankly, I, I would go a little philosophical with this. I would say that we lacked an awful lot of purpose through the pandemic. So people looked at their houses. They're like, I'll keep myself busy. We'll move. We'll renovate. We'll DIY our way. We'll buy a new house. We'll sell this house, whatever. I mean, we get bored and this is where we, this is where we, um, we get ourselves tangled up now in Ottawa, Aaron, you live in Ottawa. I spend a lot of time there with Melanie and the value of homes in Ottawa, most people don't realize, has 
skyrocketed. And I realize we talk about Vancouver, we talk about Toronto, you know, and Toronto spill over into Niagara and London. The reality is, is that 25 minutes from downtown Ottawa, a townhouse was about $400,000. Nice townhouse, not like huge 1300 square feet, single car garage, nice townhouse. And in Ontario, they are all covered in brick. (laughs) This is the way it goes. And the, um, but what's happening is those same townhouses, a townhouse that used to be pretty on par. A townhouse now, 650000 680000 680000 for a townhouse. Now, is this because of, now the market's doing its thing. Are there just more people working in Ottawa these days? Is the government quite literally getting bigger? I think that's part of it. I mean, uh, that's certainly true before the pandemic. It's harder to tell what the impact of the pandemic has been on that because all the work's been remote. So even people working for the government can be anywhere. And in fact, um, you know, uh, I, I, I definitely think that's part of it. So let me say for sure, government is bigger. The numbers don't lie. There are more people working for the federal government in the Ottawa area. Um, you know, I think also the fact that uh, a lot of people didn't have to go anywhere sort of changed their, their equation. I mean, you say that they get bored. That's part of it. I think also it is they're like, hmm, if I don't have to drive downtown anymore, maybe I will just move further away from downtown. Maybe I won't be as constrained by my proximity to downtown Ottawa. And so I think that has sort of changed, uh, not necessarily the overall demand for housing, but which housing is is in higher demand. But um, this, and this is a huge problem. I mean, not just in Ottawa, but in just about every city. I mean, Alberta, you've got their own troubles. And I think in Alberta might be one of the only places where the market hasn't gone as bananas as just about everywhere else. But that's what's so unique about what happened during the pandemic is it basically took a problem that was longstanding, a sort of Toronto, a Vancouver problem, and basically applied it almost everywhere in the country, which you can imagine is a problem because the people who were priced out of Toronto and Vancouver now can't even move to the places that used to be sort of the, 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 they were the places that you go to because they were affordable. So you, mm-hmm. you've got a very serious problem. Well, there's some numbers. There's always numbers. And like you said, the numbers don't lie, Aaron. Uh, federal public service population, March 2017 to March 2021. That's four years. Now, in 2017, according to the government's website, there was 262,696 employees in federal public service, right? Yep. 262. Four years later, that number is 319,000. That's an increase of 60,000 people. Now, keep in mind, 262 and 60,000, that's almost a 25% increase. Yep. Almost a 25% increase in the number of federal service employees since this party has taken control. That's a staggering number. There's yeah. no denying it. Yeah, and that's two years into their, that's two years into them being in office. If you go back, it's even a little less than that. But so here's the way I frame it for people. Some people say, well, you know, maybe it's worth it. Maybe if government. So I ask people, okay, if the size of the federal government has increased by 25%, do you feel like you're getting 25% more from the federal government right now? Are you getting 25% better services? Because if not, then you start to have to ask what exactly are these people doing? And is it, is it worth what we're, we're spending on? Okay. So let me put it this way. Let's I'll take yours and I'll see you and raise you 60,000 employees in four years. Let me give you some, uh, let's go cell phones. We all know cell phones. Let's talk about cell phone companies. 60,000 employees. Do you know how many people work for Rogers Communications? 26,000. The entire company. (laughs) You know how many people work for Bell as of 2019? Uh, 52,100. These are rough because they're all a little bit different years. 
TELUS is a big company. They have 65,000 employees. So the government in the last four years has essentially grown the size of the entire Roger, excuse me, the entire Bell program. Bell Canada. Like that's, that's, that can't be okay. No, it's, it's, it's just this constant, um, uh, it's a never expanding blob, as I used to call it. And the problem, of course, is that we get stuck in this loop, right? Like you have governments, it, it all really comes down to fiscal discipline. There's really no other way to put it. You can either take the approach that we have so much money to spend and we're going to figure out what to do with it. Or you can say, well, we'll just we'll just spend whatever we feel like spending. And this government has gone with the latter approach. Um, and unfortunately, what we've seen where this goes is eventually you have to cut back. And so, you know, you get this, you get this sort of zigzagging uh, situation and that's uh, frankly disruptive to people as well. And so the, the best solution to that is to keep a lid on in the first place. And this government just really has not done that at all. So, okay, Aaron, let's take this off of this. Uh, let's go to your place. We'll go to your house. We're sitting on your back patio. We're in Ottawa. It's a nice sunny day. We're having a barbecue, the Hewitts and the Woodricks. Nice. Okay. We're going over and you're my bud. You come to me and say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, I'm working on this project. I can't seem to yet make money though. The very first thing you would talk, you and I would talk about, you know, little small project we, we've got on the side. The very first thing we would talk about is one of two things. Well, we need to identify, do we have a spending problem or do we have an earning problem? Yeah. That, that's all we would do. And then we would say, okay, well, do we have an earning problem? Are we making enough money or are we spending things recklessly? Yep. Does Canada have an earning problem or a spending problem? We have a spending problem. I mean, uh, revenues often are higher than anticipated and yet the planned spending ends up being even higher than that. So, you know, and if you go back, let's, let's take the government, for example, by its own measuring stick, right? Which they publish every year in the budget. They, they publish what they plan to spend next year and the year after year after. They're the ones missing their own targets. So, you know, they can come in and say, oh, well, you know, people who disagree with us, are gonna, I'm saying, no, I'm measuring you by your own promises, right? And it all started, like I said, with, with Mr. Trudeau's original promise. He promised to run. Um, three defi- three years of deficits totaling no more than $25 billion into balance in the third year. He ended up spending more than $120 billion and didn't balance. So, I mean, he, I mean, this is, if you talk about setting your own targets and hitting them uh, when it comes to spending, this government has overshot its target every time it's laid out one. So, uh, the answer to your question is they definitely have a spending problem. Do we, are we being silly, Aaron, in thinking that these budgets are legitimate or are they just political popularity plays to get votes? Uh, I mean, look, they're pretty serious documents. They certainly take a long enough time to prepare, but they are increasingly, I will say, they are increasingly uh, almost promotional material for the government's political options. I mean, budgets used to be simple things, right? It was almost like a small, like a folder-like thing. There were a bunch of charts and some numbers. Now it's almost all words. The charts are still there. They're just like buried in between pages and pages. I mean, the last budget I looked at was three or 400 pages. You don't, you don't act, and most of that was words. So, you know, it, there, there is serious stuff in there, but you kind of got to you kind of got to sift through all the rhetoric and all the, the government sort of regurgitating all of the, the promises it's made and all the things it did in previous years to get to the actual numbers that matter. I was given a really great example um, by a couple of different politicians and ironically, one from each party. Mm. <laughs> so it's great. And they're very much the same is that, you know, this is the only job in the world where you're not measured on how much you earn or save. You're measured on how much you can spend. And the irony is, is that it's based on spending someone else's money anyway. It's a competition 
because, you know, one city needs a new bridge and one city needs uh, a new uh, 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 new freezers for a grocery store or something. And so they they go and they spend the money who can outspend one another. Is that just a I mean, you got a political science background. Is that a political problem? Is that a voter problem? Is that a complacency problem? It's an incentive problem. I mean, you, as you can imagine, Ottawa is crawling with lobbyists and people who are paid to sort of go to bat for special interests, certain industries, certain associations. Um, when they appear before politicians at committee, because often these parliamentary committees, they'll, they'll invite experts and people from the industry to come and sort of tell us what you think, what you want. Uh, ask yourself, when, when these people appear at committee, how many of them do you think are asking for the government to spend less on them? Or how many of them yeah. are coming saying, you know, what we want from you is less? The answer is mm-hmm. almost none. And so you yeah. get this problem where most regular Canadians who don't have a lobbyist, in Ottawa, you, there's nobody going. There are a few organizations, groups, one of whom I used to work for, sort of come, showing up and asking simple questions like, that sounds great, but how are we going to pay for it? But there's not enough of those voices. They are drowned out by the people who come and say, I represent this very important community or industry and you need to spend money on us. And as you say, it really comes down to them. Um, the answer to should we spend on A or B is usually yes from a lot of these uh, politicians. Yeah, isn't it? That's funny. Okay, let's go back to your patio in the backyard again. Aaron and I are sitting in the back patio. We're having a beer. We're we're um, we're uh, got the barbecue grilling. Kids are running around having a good time. We're looking at the kids, Aaron, and I lean over to you and I say, "Are we going to be okay?" Like, is this going to, are, are we on a path today if we continue where we're going? And I don't want to speculate about maybes or whatever, but if we continue on the path we're on, are those kids going to be all right by the time we're old and, and we're playing shuffleboard and they're running the world? You know, uh, if nothing changes, I do worry. I worry about my kids. I mean, my kids are elementary age. I worry what kind of world they're going to live in in 10 or 15 years. Um, are they going to be able to buy a house? You know, I I can tell you in all honesty, my wife and I have had conversations about not just saving for our own retirement, but we're we're probably going to have to save to help our kids buy a house. Because the reality is that unless they win the lottery, the odds of them being able to purchase their own home are, are, they seem to be slipping away, just the way the things are going there. Um, And in terms of, in terms of competitiveness right like it, canadians we're pretty privileged people and if you if you if you have kids who can go to university you look at the world's your oyster and increasingly i've certainly in my travels come across more and more people who younger people are asking themselves whether they want to stick around or whether they want to try their luck down south or overseas in places where they can afford to buy a house right where there is opportunity where they feel that they're the tax burden is going to be reasonable and they're going to get better bang for the, the taxes they do pay. So I think something needs to change. I think we've been, uh, we've been kind of, um, it's a little bit like Wiley Coyote, right? He, he goes off the edge of the cliff and for a while he's still going right until he looks down. Yeah. And, and I worry that, uh, that we may be reaching that uh, looking down point pretty soon. Uh, it's very graphic. It's, it seems accurate to me. I can tell you what we're doing, if it helps at all, is that we are, we've changed that. We used to have this notion that we would have a couple of places when we retired, you know, maybe a place in Victoria on the harbor and then a house for the family. That, that whole notion has sort of changed because the look today is can we get a house for the family with enough dirt around it outside the city where at least the kids could build a house if they needed to? Mm. or wanted to, mm-hmm. right? You know, and sort of looking at it that way because of the the notion that we're going to have 
two houses on the same street or in the same neighborhood or inside the same city becomes just astronomically not possible. Yeah, and look, uh, on the housing thing specifically, uh, there there is a solution to this, uh, Shane. They need to build more housing. And there are many obstacles here. I mean, for, for all the debates, this housing is like anything else. It's a function of supply and demand. You have a shortage of houses, the prices get higher. If you build more houses, and look, I'm a homeowner too, so I'm not saying I want house rises. I don't want to crash like we saw in the States, right, where yeah. the price plummeted. But could I accept a leveling off? Could I, I don't want the balloon to pop, but could we let a little air out of the balloon slowly over five or ten years? And I, I think that could be in the cards. And I think, frankly, politically – the, the, the equation is starting to change. I can tell you for a long time, politicians ignored this because the most politically powerful group were the people who own the homes. Um, increasingly, you're seeing more and more people. The other side is becoming more because there's more of them. There's more and more people and they're, they're coming of voting age um, and they're making their voices heard. And so I'm hoping that politicians will recognize. And this applies to all levels of government, I, I have to add. It's not just the federal government's jobs, provincial government and municipal governments in particular. If they do not allow more housing to get built, we are on a, a very dangerous path here in terms of uh, our, our sort of social cohesion because you're going to basically have a, uh, two classes in this country, people who are privileged enough to own a home and people who have no hope ever of owning a home. And that is, I think, a very toxic, dangerous mix. Coming up in a couple of weeks here, on April 1st, the MPs will get a raise. They do. Uh, they get the option of a raise every year. Sometimes they've said no, um, but they will get a, a couple percent and they're going to get an extra $3,200 uh, for an MP. And I still, I wish that I believed what you're saying about leveling off and out of the balloon, Aaron. I don't believe it until you get somebody whose base salary is $182,600. What's going to be $185,800 next month until that person can't has to go buy a dumpy old single bedroom somewhere and that's all they can buy i don't believe until they get restricted that this is going to change uh, you might be right uh, it also might matter if the people that they rely on to get elected if there's so many of them that they realize that they have no choice that it would cost them their seat um, incentives matter right including for politicians and uh, i can tell you if they really feel that an issue is going to make or break them they, they might they might have a come to jesus moment over that yeah, it's true. Aaron Woodrick is with uh, McDonald-Laurier Institute in Ottawa, background in economics, politics, and all of those things. Aaron, thanks so much for this, man. I I do look forward to having this beer in the backyard, hypothetically, over good news one day soon. So let's hope we get there. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.